Welcome back to Do Less Podcast with John and Jeff, where this is absolutely 100% not the third attempt at trying to record this podcast <laughs> because that would be doing way too much and we would never do that. What do you think, uh, John? You're, you're exactly right, Jeff. This <laughs> is uh, first go at it, so we'll <laughs> let's uh, we'll, we'll keep it going, keep it light. Yeah, keep it le- easy and breezy. Um, right. What are we talking about today, John? Talking about the U.S. national debt, mm. our sovereign debt, what it is and where it comes from and why it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, so for those of you who've never heard of the debt or never thought about the debt or have heard about it and still don't care because it's boring, um, I'm right there with you. It is definitely boring, but I still think it's something we should care about. Um, and so some cl- some key distinctions to make here is we're talking about national debt. There's still state and local debt that is another aspect of debt, but we're just going to be talking about the U.S. national debt. Um, federal debt. Yeah, federal. So just the federal government spending, not state and local. Um, and so right now, as it stands, our federal debt is around $23 trillion. And where that comes from is essentially uh, when you pay your taxes, hopefully you pay your taxes, you don't want to end up like Wesley Snipes. Um, <laughs> what happens is the Treasury Department collects that and they use that to spend on all the other things we vote for, like uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the military, all these other things, departments, and whatever else you can think of. Well, we vote for we vote for politicians who yeah. do the spending, so we don't actually vote for the programs. Right. But we, but yeah, these the fo- politicians we. Um, the reason I make that distinction is because it's like probably it would be nice to be able to vote for actual. Uh, policies and implementations of programs but um we but not we do not do that we vote for uh politicians who then <laughs> spend right. all the money but like currently when our technology i feel is th- is the barrier stopping us from being able to do that right like if we had to actually go to the whatever location and show your id and vote on every little bill that crosses the floor it like no one would vote ever it would be yeah, way true. too much of a hassle i think theoretically you could build a system in which you know if, if it was secure and each person had like a login then maybe you could just go home and vote on things but um i mean and then i don't know we don't really need to get into this but we're the country was designed to be a republic it wasn't meant to just vote on everything you were supposed to pick people to make stuff for you but that's not really important. Um, essentially, they're just spending money and they collect taxes to pay for it. But here's the thing. The government doesn't know ahead of time how much money they're going to collect in taxes, right? Because businesses don't know how much money they're going to make in a given year. And so depending on how much they profit, depending if they need to lay people off, et cetera, et cetera, they have an idea of how much they're going to collect in taxes, but they don't necessarily know the exact amount. And so they're going to set a budget of what they're going to spend, but they may not collect enough to cover that. And if they don't, they already spent that money. So that that money has to be collected somehow. And the way they do that is they issue bonds, which is essentially a loan to the government. So if you buy a bond, 
you are or a U.S. Treasury bond, you're lending to the U.S. government. And that allows them to spend more than they collect in taxes. And so that's where our debt comes from. So that $20 trillion, $23 trillion, that means we've issued $23 trillion worth of bonds out there. And those bonds pay interest. So we have to pay for that too. So that's part of our spending. That's one of the things we spend on is interest as well. Um, yeah, so that $23 trillion is the total sum of all the bonds issued by the federal government. Um, but that doesn't include interest. That's, so the $23 trillion will have to be repaid by the federal government at some point, um, you know, supposedly with taxes that they, uh, that they are able to garner from the population. Um, plus interest. So 23 trillion is just the, the base. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when we just throw out numbers like 23 trillion, you know, what does that mean to anyone? You know, it's kind of hard to conceptualize 23 trillion. Um, so maybe we can put that a little bit into context for you. Um, so the current GDP um, in the U.S. is around uh, twenty trillion, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, nineteen, I think. Nineteen. Okay. So. Nineteen twenty. Yeah. So. What and what GDP is is basically if you just add up all the income earned, so like everyone's salary plus everyone's uh, profits from businesses or assets that they own whatever it may be. So you just add up all the income of everyone in the country. That's, um, that's the GDP. And so if the GDP is like 19, 20 trillion and our debt is 23 trillion, that would be like, let's say you made a hundred thousand dollars in a year. Then that would be like, if you had $120,000 in debt, um, hanging over you. Yeah. Um, and another way, and another thing I like to to mention when you draw that that parallel um, is if the if the entire populace of the U.S. were to to commit themselves to say in one year we're going to work just as hard and just as long as we were going to um, you know in a normal year but for for some reason this year we're not going to keep any single we're not going to keep a single dollar of our paychecks we're going to give it all to the government we're going to be taxed at a hundred percent. Um, so that would mean the government, and if everyone actually did, like in this thought experiment, say everyone is as productive as they would have been, everyone's able to earn as much as they otherwise would have in a you know free market. If they were to pledge their entire salary to the, if every person was to pledge their entire salary to the government, um, <laughs> that would be you know eighty percent of the debt outstanding, right? So that experiment happens, and then they would have to go another. <laughs> you know, they'd have to go another um, two months to actually cover the debt. So that's right. like, for, so think about every single person in the U.S., all of the labor, all of the skills, all of the, all of the salaries that every single person makes, um, that is an astounding number, just to right. kind of speak to the, to the gravity around that number. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, my comparison wasn't actually a good comparison because... I compare GDP to income, but in this case, we're looking at the income of the treasury, which is actually tax receipts, right? 
So their income that they receive uh, from our GDP is around 3.4 trillion. That was what it was in uh, 2018. And like I said, that number can change based on how much people earn, what tax bracket that pushes them into, if that changes, whatever. And so 3.4 trillion is the income and the debt is 23. So that's, you know, let's do some quick math here. 23 divided by 3.4. It's like six, almost seven times the income. So that would be like if you had, if you made $100,000 in a year, that would be like having $700,000 in debt in your name. That's yeah a more accurate comparison of what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like John said, if everyone was just really noble and just said, I'm going to spend absolutely nothing on myself. So even that is just impossible, right? Like that would, everyone would die because they would starve. <laughs> like everyone's got to eat. So like that's not even possible. But even if just they are somehow able to get all of the income to go to the treasury, it's still not enough to pay it off. Um, and that's right. But that's in one year. It's not like we have to pay it off in one year. Right. So like some of the some of the maturity on the debt is thirty years, right? right. So the government is only only has to pay it off uh, thirty years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention the the interest on that though. Every year that accrues in interest payment or interest payments are um, due until the last year that the the actual sum is due for every, any specific bond at which right. point. So my point is, it's not like it is due next year, and it's not like we need to pay it off next year. But um, that's just that's just kind of like to speak to the the actual, you know. We act, just to kind of put a picture on what that number is. Right. The cause... whole workforce of the U.S. <laughs> banding together is not going to cover it until, you know, 14 months of, of hard work. Right. And so as we're trying to put that number into perspective, hopefully this starts to illustrate why this debt could be a problem for us. Um, and if that's not necessarily becoming clear yet, um, Hopefully we can make that a little bit more clear here in a second. And so if you look at the U.S. uh, financial report from 2018, which I don't expect you to because no one looks at this, um, like on page two, (laughs) the the title of that page is an unsustainable fiscal path. So even the Treasury is out here saying this is not sustainable, uh, meaning it will not we cannot keep doing what we're currently doing. And stay solvent. We will go bankrupt. That's just right. a, a... And so may, to explain why we'll go bankrupt, I'll kind of lay that out, right? So we talked about how the debt, in order to get people to lend you money, you have to pay them interest. No one's going to buy a bond just out of the goodness of their heart. No one loves the government that much. At least I don't think anyone does. So you have to pay them a little bit of interest to get them to lend you money. And generally, these bonds are considered safe investments, right? Because the government is really good at collecting taxes because they have a powerful military. And if you don't pay, they'll put you in a cage. So it's, a pretty, it's pretty good at getting what it wants. So it's, it's considered a safe investment. Um, and so the interest rates are pretty low. They're around 1% to 2% for like the short-term bonds, which is what most of it is. Um, and so 
But even still, that interest right now represents about 8% of our current budget. So 8% of our spending right now is just on interest, right? And so if our debt keeps growing and interest rates rise because our solvency starts to become a bit of an issue, increasing the risk makes interest rates go up, then you know you can start to see that interest start to become 20% of your budget, 30%, 40%. What happens when interest payments start to exceed the amount of tax revenue you can even get, right? So if you have to get pay out more in interest than you can even collect in taxes, what now you're in a like spiraling cycle because now you have to issue more debt just to cover the debt you couldn't even right. like service. And this is when hyperinflation happens, right? Because there's no way out. You can you either default or you just start printing money to like fix the, the problem. And so this that's where you go bankrupt, right? When you just cannot even get enough tax money to pay off the interest you owe. Because then you're not even covering any of the debt. You just can't even cover the interest. And so that's the path we're on right now. And that's why they're saying it's unsustainable. Yeah, right. And so I will... So you mentioned the commentary that the, the the treasury has on its own debt, you know, it's calling it unsustainable. Similarly, we've talked about the uh, Federal Reserve um, and the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve in his testimony to Congress um, this week what had like a whole spiel about, you know, the fiscal, you know, fiscal spending, which is the Congress spending, which is the treasury spending. Um, needs to be reined in, needs to become more responsible. It's unsustainable. He similarly said that's unsustainable. That's a, that could be a potential cause for problems in the future. So he's like adding an additional commentary. So basically everyone agrees that it's like, you know, we can't do this forever, but nobody's actually going to step up to, to actually stop it because that would be hard. <laughs> right. It's not very easy to um, reduce spending. Right. And so it, the end case, the multiple end game scenarios here are like I said, if you can't, if you if it keeps going on the path it's going on, eventually we'll go bankrupt. This is not really up for debate. It's just if we continue our current trajectory, that's what's going to happen. And so yeah, like if you have debt on a credit card and then you um, you're you're running delinquent on that credit card, so you transfer all that debt to another credit card. And, you know, you're able to survive for another couple months because they give you a 0% introductory <laughs> rate. But then after that rate expires, you're delinquent on those payments. Then you got to transfer that debt to a new credit card. Well, you're fine as long as you can keep transferring to credit cards. Mm -hmm. But eventually, what, what happens when someone says, or when no credit card issuers say you can transfer your debt to a new card? At that point, you're sunk. Like you, right. you just have to go, you have to declare bankruptcy. Like you say, I can't pay this. Right. As soon, no way of. Yeah. As soon as you can't make your credit card payments anymore, you can't even make your minimum payments anymore. That's when you're bankrupt. So that's kind of the equivalent of what, where our national government is headed. And it, it, the same is true for a lot of the state and local governments as well. Um, but we're not going to really talk about that. We're just going to talk about the national one. So yeah, this path towards bankruptcy is the path we're currently on and so the reason this is a problem the reason 
bankruptcies. You could you might just say, oh, so what? We go bankrupt. Who cares, right? Um, that's that's kind of a very flippant attitude to have because here's why you should care, right? So if the government defaults on its debt, okay, who holds that debt? You could say some degree China holds a decent amount, right? Um, but they don't hold that much. The majority is actually in the retirement accounts like 401ks, pension funds, these other things for U.S. citizens. It's mostly held here among U.S. citizens. So if the government were to default on its debt, basically everyone's plan for retirement gets wiped out. And so these a lot of these people are too old to even go back to work or just they haven't been in the workforce in a while. And the idea of the labor market just being able to take in all these people who were set for retirement, it's not going to be able to handle that. And if these people can't get income, how are they going to feed themselves? Hopefully their family can help them out. But, you know, Social Security can't help them out because the government's bankrupt. Like, and Social pe- Security has money in bonds. <laughs> right, yeah. Social Security also has its income derived from bonds. So there's no source of income for these people. There's no one to help them out anymore. And so... That's a big problem. Uh, that's a really big problem. They could starve. Like that's a really big problem. So defaulting yeah, and, to, it- and to also um, kind of point this to something you may hear in your life. Um, you know, the, the allocation of your four hundred one k recommendation. You've probably heard people kind of explain to you what a, your four hundred one k should kind of be invested in. When you're young, they say it's okay to be risky, so have it mostly in stocks. But then as you get older, as you near your t- retirement age, they say to transition from stocks to bonds. Like Jeff said, bonds are considered a safe asset. And so that's what, yeah, that's the government debt bonds. Like lending your money to the government is um, said to be the safest investment because the government can, the, the government always has paid it back. So like the, the standard, your, you know, your standard worker in the course of their life is going as they're getting older, as they're nearing retirement and as they enter retirement is allocating more and more to bonds and to the point when they're eventually retired. And like Jeff said, has no more income source. The, the bonds are their income source. They are depending on the government to pay them back the money that they lent. Right. Um, social security holds its money in bonds too. So, uh, if if the government just said we can't pay bonds back, then Social Security would be bankrupt. And, as and well. Medicare so, as well. <laughs> and Medicare. That's there. So all of these pools of money that are caring for people that are probably, you know, the older, the more elderly members of our society that can't support themselves, mm-hmm. or maybe the sick that can't support themselves, those are the people that would be hurt the most by a U.S. bankruptcy, by a U.S. default on bonds. Right. Another thing to think about is actually a lot of to become a money manager or um, there's a lot of regulation. And one of those regulations is you have to recommend people to buy more bonds um, as they get older. It's like 60 percent requirement for some like there's just a lot of regulation around. So like almost everyone's savings accounts or just savings is being pooled into government debt. So if the government just defaulted then, you know, this would be a really big disaster. So that's not really a good solution, right? Okay, so what are are the other solutions? Or what are the other 
potential uh, problematic outcomes, right? So let's say the government doesn't default, but it cannot collect enough tax revenue to pay for it. What can it do? Well, it issues the currency that those bonds are denominated in. So it could just print money to pay for it, okay? But if you're printing money to cover the interest that you couldn't collect from tax money, then you're just gonna have a perpetual cycle of printing more and more money to cover the debt you can't cover. And this is what has happened in places like uh, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, uh, Germany back in the day. Um, these countries have all had problems with hyperinflation. And the reason for that is because they've printed a bunch of money to pay for the debts they couldn't pay back because they didn't want to default for all the reasons we just explained. I, I want to point to, to a, a symptom of this problem that we're speaking about. If you look at the any, any bond um, interest rate over the last 40 years, I'll just stick with a 10-year for an example. If you look at the 10-year treasury, so 10-year uh, debt that the government issues, over the last 40 years, it has gone straight down, almost in like a, a line. It used to be like, I think it used to be upwards of like 10 or maybe 15%, and today it's under 2%, right? And that, the reason I say that's a symptom is because the government cannot afford for that interest rate to go beyond 2%. It's already, the interest payments per year are already 8% of expenditure, right? 8% mm -hmm. of every dollar you, you give to the government. Actually, it's more than that um, because they spend they on overspend. deficits. They overspend, right, yeah. Right, so, but uh, if, the, uh, if that rate, if that 10-year treasury rate were to go above 2%, that would just mean more interest for the government to spend per year, mm. right? So the government has a, a, a high interest. It, it's, the stakes are high for the government to not let that rate go above 2%, no matter what the market would demand for a, a bond. Mm -hmm. The government doesn't want it to go above 2%. So what the Federal Reserve actually does is comes in, is comes in and saves a day for the federal government. They, they live to fight another day. The government really needs uh, bonds to not go above 2%. So what happens is, and, and the reason that would make them go above 2%, we don't have to get too, too much into it, but the, the bonds are, are bought and sold on a secondary market, depending on the, 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 the price, which is inversely related to the yield. So if no one wants the bonds, then that means that the price is actually going to go down and the yield is going to go up. We don't have to get into what that exactly means, but if no one want, like no one wants a bond that yields, like Jeff said before, zero percent, um, so it would go up, and then someone might say, "I'll take it at one percent." If no one wants it at one percent, then it would go to two percent. If no one wants it at two percent, it would go to three percent. Someone might finally say, "Okay, actually, I I will take it at three percent." You know, they once the yield is high enough, people will um, might actually elect to buy it. Right. Um, so to, when there's less demand, the yield goes up. Yeah. So like a simple example would be like, let's say you have two friends and one of them is a really hard worker and they just save all their money all the time. And the other one goes gambling in Atlantic City every weekend. Who are you more likely to lend, give a loan to? You know, who, who's more trustworthy? And it'd probably be not the guy gambling unless he's really good at it, I guess. But you'd probably be much more <laughs> likely to give the guy who saves a bunch of money um, and he's very responsible. You're much more likely to give him a loan. In fact, 
you may even just help him out in the kindness of your heart and not even charge him at all. But if the guy who gambles all the time asks for a loan, you're going to be like, all right, you got to pay me back double, you know? Right. <laughs> like, and that's the same with governments, right? So Italy is infamous for being very irresponsible. And so they're going to, you know, have to pay a higher rate to get people to lend to them than, for example, the U.S., which has a pretty solid history. Right. So um, even though the U.S. does have a solid history, it is still subject to the market of supply and demand for the bonds. Mm -hmm. So if people don't want the bonds, that would make the yield go up. So if what we're saying today, you know, strikes fear into people's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bank accounts all, and all they say, oh, them. I don't want... <clears throat> Yeah. All, all of a sudden, people really don't want to lend the government money. They say, we need a much higher interest rate than 2% to lend the government money. Well, there's actually another, there's another entity that steps in, hmm. and that's the Federal Reserve. Um, the Federal Reserve will then buy treasuries to keep the price below, to, to keep the, uh, the yield below 2%, for example. That helps the federal government manage the... Uh, the debt, but how do they do it? They print money. <laughs> right. That's it's not like you've gotten around it somehow. <laughs> the federal government is just kicking the can down the road. Right. They're saying we're going to cover your, you know, this stress that you have today. We'll keep the interest rates lower mm -hmm. by printing money and buying bonds when they get too high and keeping the interest rate low. Right. And so if they keep doing this, if they if we keep printing money, so even though it's not the U.S. government that prints money, it's the Federal Reserve. It doesn't matter, right? It's it's tomato tomato. Like at the end of the day, the way we're paying for it is printing money, and what does that do? It causes inflation. So when people try to get like cute with all this stuff, it it's not more complicated than it it really sounds. It's there's a couple ways you can pay for things, right? You can collect taxes from people. You can issue debt or and debt you still need taxes to collect. So really at the end of the day, the only ways to pay for things are taxes and printing money. And so it, it's one or the other. And so if right. we're not collecting enough taxes, we're printing money. That's it. And I've actually, so what I described is there's actually a kind of a subtlety that is even more absurd than what this all lets on to. <clears throat> So if the Federal Reserve prints money to buy treasuries, right? Well, now they have treasuries on their balance sheet. That means the federal government, the U.S. Treasury, owes the Federal Reserve uh, that money back plus interest. Well, the thing about the Federal Reserve is it's not a for-profit entity. It is a private entity, but it's not for-profit. All of its profits, it's actually supposed to give to the U.S. Treasury. <laughs> so, so... You could say, oh, the Federal Reserve with all those bonds must be doing pretty well. Well, no, the Federal, the U.S. Treasury takes the profits from the Federal Reserve. So the, the U.S. government is paying the Federal Reserve to lend it money by printing money, <laughs> which the U.S. Treasury then takes the profit of back from the Federal Reserve. Right. So essentially the net effect is just money was printed. Right. And so, and the reason, again, that this is a problem Printing money is not a free way out anymore that, than defaulting is a free way out because inflation makes it very difficult for economies to function. Because imagine if your employer is saying, okay, I'm going to pay you $100,000 a year. 
Well, what if you have literally no idea what you can get with that? How do you know to agree to those terms or not? If you have no clue, this is why no one gets paid in something like Bitcoin, for example, because it swings wildly. No one would accept a salary in Bitcoin because you have no clue what that Bitcoin is going to be worth today or tomorrow. So you need a currency that's stable in prices or in, in the broad market. Otherwise, it's so hard for people to negotiate with one another. It's hard to buy and sell things because you don't know what your money is going to be worth now. And so what makes what happens is no one can save money because they just have no clue what that money is going to be worth. So it just really incentivizes everyone to just live in the now and just spend now. And if that seems like a good idea, how, how are we ever going to grow if we never save? You know, th- think about like um, if you wanted to start a business and no one wanted to lend to you. How, how are you ever going to start that business if you just spend all your money that you earned today? You're never going to be able to. So you can never get out of the hole you're in unless you save, right? And so if we have inflation, then no one's saving and our economy can't grow. We're just stuck in the now. People are really disincentivized from saving when interest rates are low mm-hmm. because they're not going to be rewarded for money that they set aside. If you, if you don't spend it today, uh, you're essentially subjecting yourself to uh, unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. When, rent, when interest rates are so low, that makes alternatives by comparison better. And so um, irrational spending becomes more normal. Right. And so, I mean, hopefully by now you recognize that this is a serious problem. Um, because, like we said, we're on, not, we're on no path to pay this thing off uh, anytime soon. Uh, it's going to get out of control. And like we said, a bankruptcy or inflation can represent a collapse in the economy as we know it. There's still going to be economic activity. There's always going to be. But it's going to be unrecognizable to what it's like today. Um, and it's going to be a lot more painful. It's a real collapse in the standard of living. So unless people out there you know, are just keen on taking a huge hit to their standard of living this this should be important to you um and so i think now that we've talked about why this is a problem we should probably get into potential solutions to the problem you know we we drew a a very drastic picture towards the beginning of this podcast about you know if everyone banded together and provided 100 percent of their income to pay off this debt you know it would take 14 months that's not necessary so that's not even, even if that was a potential solution, we don't even need to do that. Um, literally, this solution is a modicum of financial responsibility <laughs> by, by way of Congress. Like all, like all you have to, so if you look at the, the national debt over the past, especially the last like, um, you know, 20 years, it is a, in free fall. It's in the, the, the national debt is like almost exponentially increasing, Right. And we've already said, we've already illustrated why that's a problem, right? So to stop that, you just have to dial it back, right? All, we don't even need to, we don't even need to spend at, you know, we, we don't have to stop deficit spending. We can continue to deficit spend, but just at a reduced rate, you <laughs> right. know, to wean ourselves off, that would show signs of 
sustainability. That which is signs that we can rein ourselves back in. When we when we all we do show is a free fall, that begs the question: Can we even stop it? Mm-hmm. Is this machine just chugging along? Does anyone have the actual the actual you know responsibility in Congress or in the president's office to be able to say stop? Something needs to change and actually enact a, a, a feasible change. Right. Actually show that it can be dialed back. And, and so before we talk, so cutting spending is one potential solution, but there's other theoretical solutions, right? So we talked about increasing tax revenue, right? So theoretically, if we collected more tax revenue, that could pay off the debt, right? And so... If you're of the belief that all this spending is 100% necessary, we can't get rid of any of it. Absolutely not. We can't even cut a little bit, not not even one bit. Then we have to increase our tax revenue. We have to, right? But here's the thing. So let's say you tax someone uh, 20% of their income. That's about standard of what is today. You know, they might work just as hard as they normally would and give you that 20% and say that's the cost of living in America. So be it. Okay. But what if we keep spending the way we're spending and now the only way to pay off that debt is to have the tax rate be at 50 or even higher of the average person? Imagine the government's taking half of every dollar you earn. At some point, you're going to start to feel discouraged to earn more than you already are, right? So, you know, I don't, that number is probably different for everyone, but we can all say if the tax rate was 100%, no one would show up to work. I can guarantee you that. If the tax rate was 100%, there's not a single person showing to work. And it's probably true for 90% and 80%, you know? But somewhere along that way, People are just going to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I give up. I'm not going to work. You're just taking everything I earn. At some point, people are just going to throw in the towel. So we can acknowledge there's a line somewhere. I don't necessarily know where that is. And there's not a lot of um, data to support it. But some estimates tend to believe that if you tax beyond 15 to 20%, then you're actually gonna start reducing the amount people wanna work. And so you're gonna be taxing a smaller pool of income, right? So if your tax burden goes beyond 20%, let's say, then the GDP is start is gonna start to fall. People are gonna work less because they're gonna be discouraged. And so that 15 to 20%, even if you get it to 30 or 50, it's gonna be on a smaller number, right? So 15 to 20% of 20 trillion is more money than 80% of 1 trillion, right? Right. So, yeah, so what you're describing is the Laffer curve. Right. Um, which, yeah, so the extremes at 0% tax and at 100% tax, in both of those scenarios, you get $0 of tax <laughs> revenue. Right. Right. And there's somewhere in between there that it's actually maximized, call it 20, call it 15, where people are encouraged to work, they don't mind paying the tax. When it goes above that, it becomes prohibitory, prohibitive, and you actually start to see the decline in tax revenue. Even though you're raising the tax, you know you're raising the tax amount, you're actually decreasing tax revenue. 
Right. So you're increasing the rate, the percentage, but you're decreasing the money, the actual, the actual amount of money the government is receiving to pay off its loans. And at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? If we're talking about the debt, what matters is revenue, not rate. Okay. So you can sit around talking about rate all day, but there is a theoretical maximum amount that you can get for a given amount of productivity, right? So we have a given amount of productivity. People go to work, they do the best they can to better their lives for themselves and their family. And that that's what's given. And so given that amount, there's a maximum amount of tax revenue we can actually get from that. And so if our spending is higher than that maximum amount, raising taxes is not a solution because we can't actually get any more tax revenue out. It won't work. So that's not a solution. Right. And it, this is something I actually wanted to say before, but it's a good, that's a good uh, place to mention. To kind of step back and just kind of comment on the philosophy of, of government spending. Of government, yeah, government spending is supposed to increase, you know, economic output, mm-hmm. right? For the government to say, I'm going to spend a dollar and I'm going to recoup it in taxes, well, that theoretically, that dollar that was spent should create more than a dollar <clears throat> of economic activity. In revenue. Then it's, then it's no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in revenue. So if, if economic activity goes up fourfold then from that dollar, or it goes mm-hmm. up $4 from that $1, then you can tax 25%, no problem. You've just covered mm-hmm. your cost, and it's actually net, net zero. You know, effect, um, opportunistically, it would be less than you know net zero. The government would be providing value and actually spurring ac- economic activity at right. no cost. <clears throat> and essentially, actually, that's no different than a profit. That's basically what right. a profit is. It's just the government would be the one profiting, right? If th- so, if they spent money, that's no different than a business spending money, right? And then, right. if that increases their revenue in return. Just like if a business spends more and that increases their revenue in turn, that's a profit, right? And so theoretically, the government can profit if what they're doing is profitable, right? right? But we're not profiting. We're going deeper and deeper <laughs> into debt. So clearly what they're doing, if they're arguing to you that this is going to stimulate GDP and it'll pay for itself, it doesn't. It hasn't. Right. And it I, hasn't. Don't, I don't think it will because it hasn't. Yeah, necessarily... The government's stance has to be by overspending 23 trillion mm-hmm. more than what we were able to collect. We believe that people's salaries will increase by 23 trillion mm-hmm. or more. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely more because it's got to cover interest as well, like we mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, 23 trillion plus interest over the next X amount of years, that will be easily collectible from this this economy that we're stimulating so much, um, it's, it, that's not an issue then. If we can easily say, yeah, there's, you know, no problem, 23 trillion over the next, you know, 23 trillion plus over the next 30 years, that's no problem. But people aren't, that's not what the argument is. It's not what you hear, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like um, the, the economic theory that economic theory that economic philosophy is not what's being discussed it's we must do this because this is the right thing to do this is what we want to do this is what will make us feel good well (laughs) you gotta (laughs) you gotta do less you gotta do what you can prove if you can prove that it's gonna garner more income then feel free 
you know? Right. But proving that is very, very hard. Mm-hmm. That's a very hard thing to do. Right. And so, yeah, right now uh, we're spending. It's not paying for itself. If it was, we wouldn't be going deeper and deeper into debt. So that, that argument would be false. If you hear people saying it'll pay for itself, you know. When? <laughs> yeah, when. Because it, it never has. So when, yeah. you know. I Be careful when people say stuff like that. Um, and so the reality is when the government spends, it's generally not profitable. And the reason for that is they don't have competition. They don't have anyone else who's going to get their revenue instead except other countries. But people don't really move just off the top of the hat like that. Oh, you're spending too much. I'm out. Like people don't really do that. It's, it's a little like they haven't yet. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, eventually the they do, right? Like, everyone left Venezuela eventually, right? And so, I mean, there's still people who got stuck there because, unfortunately, they didn't have enough resources to get out. But, you know... That's a humanitarian crisis. Right, exactly. That's like not... It's not, not a... Right. Yeah, and so, yes, technically they have competition in the form of other countries, but immigration is not, like, it's not a very uh, highly competitive market, I guess you could say. Because um, it's not like people can just move just like that. Um, it's, it's very a, high friction. There's a lot yeah. of friction in that market. Exactly. And so essentially the government has a monopoly and really doesn't have much of an incentive to be profitable in that sense. Um, because, you know, what are people going to do? Move eventually, but not right now. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, generally when they spend, it's not profitable. And so to pay for that spending, you got to tax us. And so we're already probably around that maximum tax revenue that we can get out of our economy. So we have, there's a lot of proposals to collect more tax revenue. Like uh, a a highly hot topic these days is a wealth tax as a way to get more revenue. But wealth is money that's out there, right? Income is generated every year. Wealth is like stagnant, right? It's it's a stationary amount, right? So let's say we took all the wealth of the wealthiest people in America. That would generate about a trillion dollars, optimistically speaking, if we could get all of their wealth, which is enough money to run the government for about uh, three, three, months. Three, three months, okay? <clears throat> so wealth tax is not a solution. It's not. It doesn't solve the issue. We can only do that once. If we took all the money yeah. they had, then we would have to wait the amount of time it took for them to generate that wealth again to get that wealth back and then take it again. And then we could run the government for another three months. Okay. And if we're just taking everyone's wealth, why are they, why are they going to yeah. generate it in the first place? They're going to spend it. No one's going to collect wealth in a society that doesn't let you have wealth. So... Yeah. You, it's a one-time thing, and it gets you three months of government spending. Yeah, right. This is not a solution. People who right. talk about this solution are lying to you. Okay, So really, we're at our maximum of tax receipts we can get, roughly. You know, Maybe we can squeeze a little bit here or there if we're clever about how we do it. But the, the point is, most, for the most part, we're at that maximum of tax revenue we can get around it we're near it right it's not going to go big we're not going to have big gains in either direction by moving this needle is my point so really the only solution we have left 
is cutting spending. That's the only real solution. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. You really flushed out that. So like, yeah, two options: increase taxes or decrease spending. Increasing taxes is not. It's not (laughs) really. It's not an option. So that's that's uh, decreasing spending. And I think you touched on something that I think is really, really the key. It, it all boils down to this. It's the incentive. It's the incentive of the federal government. You, you hear all the time story, stories about congressmen and elected officials who, who are incentivized to spend more so that next year they have a budget at or greater than what they had this year, right? right. If they don't spend enough... <laughs> They are punished. There's punishment in not spending, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at that, that alone is the incentive that is driving this train off of the tracks. Mm-hmm. That is unsustainable. That is not, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. That is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. If you had the incentive the opposite way to spend as le- the least amount as pop, to spend as least as you can, to spend the least amount that you can. <laughs> can yeah, do, do less. Yeah. <laughs> If the incentive was to spend less, to do less, then you know there, you know you could you could see what I was saying. You could see some kind of some degree of dialing it back, some reining in of spending. But it's the opposite. The opposite is true. The opposite of the solution is the current state. The the incentive is to spend more. Mm-hmm. Um, and government and I mean government officials, it you know your job is to enact policy, enact change. And your only and your restriction on that is how much can you spend, like that is your like your budget is how much impact you have and how much how well you can do your job, right? Um, in the opinion of the politicians, so how why would they ever agree to a, to less of a budget? They wouldn't, right? Well, They're incentivized to spend more and to increase their budgets, um, which is exactly the case of the, the scenario where this goes. Well, I would say out. is if they have pressure from people who pay taxes and say, you know, I don't want to pay more taxes to cover this spending, then suddenly they have like a re-election incentive to cut spending, right? Because if people want less taxes, suddenly there's a new incentive for them to cut spending. Um, But I think that's one of the issues here, right? And so this is a common misnomer that people have is that, the rich people in this country aren't paying uh, taxes or they're not paying their fair share or what have you. This is, this is a misconception, okay? If you look at where, so about, if you look at the um, 1% of people, they earn 20% of the income, which is a lot, right? Um, but they pay 40% of the taxes, okay? So 40% of our tax revenue is coming from the 1% of people who earn 20% of the income. So they're paying double in terms of a ratio of how much of the proportion of the income they have, right? So if it was like equivalent, if they had 20% of the income, they'd pay 20% of the taxes, but they don't, they pay 40%. So they pay double in proportion, okay? And so then, and then 50% of Americans essentially pay no taxes at all. If you look at the benefits they receive from the government and you like net them out. And so mm-hmm. actually most people don't feel the burden of taxes whatsoever. Um, and so that, that incentive to cut spending is only coming from the 50% of the people to begin with who are actually paying taxes, right? 
And so you have basically this split um, base of people. One who's like has no reason to request lower spending and another half. So basically you have to have the half people who would care somehow convince the other half who really has no reason to care to vote along with them. And that's just not going to happen. Yeah, 50% is a pretty significant number when it comes to popular vote. Right. So, you know, all you need is 51% right. of people who don't care. So 1% that's uneducated to mm-hmm. to allow unfavorable spending. And I think it's a lot more than 1% of people that right. pay taxes don't really care. Right. Um, and so... You see these wild spending bills, spending proposals um, on both sides of the aisle, both, you know, both Republicans and Democrats... Mm-hmm. are spending 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 <laughs> and no one is reeling them in we're cheering them on we're cheering them on when the spending is aligned with who we agree with right but we, we we're you know we, we don't stop and think no spending is also an option less right. spending doing, <laughs> doing less is also an option doing less is in fact an option yeah and it seems like people are it, they're much more concerned with who is spending than how much and if right. it's viable and so you know, we can, we say we got to cut spending and the question is, okay, what are we going to cut spending on? Okay. So let's look at the budget. So earlier we told you that 8% is spent on interest. Okay. So that we can't cut that because if we cut that, then no one's going to lend to us. Okay. We got to pay our interest. It's not an option. All right. Um, then we have uh, 23% on social security. Okay. Now, this is obligations we've already made, okay? So we can't cut that now because that would be the same as defaulting. But what we can do is stop making future promises. So we can start to lower that portion that's Social Security. So currently this is considered non-discretionary spending, right? Because it's, it's obligations we've already made. So we can't just not pay it. That would be defaulting on your obligations. But that 20%, 3%, we can make that proportion go down if we reform Social Security. This is something no one wants to touch. No political party wants to reform Social Security. It's like political suicide. No one wants to touch it. But that's 23% of the pie. That's a big piece of the pie. Okay, another big piece of the pie is Department of Health and Human Services. So this is like Medicaid and Medicare. So that's another 25%. So between Social Security and... Uh, healthcare, that's about half of the pie. Okay. So if we reform those, we can save a lot. All right. And then another one is 20, just 21% is all other. So that's like discretionary spending. And then we have 8% for the VA. Me personally, I don't think you cut the VA because it's like someone goes out and fights a war that I don't think we should have been fighting anyway, gets their legs blown off. And now they can't work a job they should have been able to. Like, we got to help that guy, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, you can argue about it, but my opinion is you, you don't cut from that. Um, and so, and, you know, this is what this is what we should be, be debating, honestly, is what do we cut? Right. You know, that's, that's a hard thing to touch because everyone has their thing they want and need. And that's close yeah, to their, their heart. Extra, additional but spending. But something's, something's got to go, right? Like, it's, you got, at the end of the day, you got to face the facts. We're not living in candy land. You know, we made this clear. The only solution <laughs> is you got to cut spending. And this is going to be hard. 
and we should be having hard conversations about what needs mm-hmm. to go. A lot of people yeah, it's think really, we should... um, if I could build on that, it's, it's yeah. really this pain that we're describing, the pain, the ultimate pain of, of actually, you know, this debt coming, you know, coming, uh, coming due, I guess, well, this debt actually causing problems, like real physical mm-hmm. manifestable, or manifestations of, you know, drastic change and, and negative impact to the economy. Um, it's really off in the future, right? We don't, there's no, there's no tangible effect of the debt to any person in the country right now. It's just mm-hmm. kind of something to think about, right? <laughs> but if you were to spread the actual pain across time so that we would feel today, we would be doing something about it, right? right. If we just wait to, for to actual effect us, well, that could be the end of the country. That could, we could be <laughs> so screwed. We could end up like, you know, all these great civilizations through history that, that, uh, squandered their wealth and squandered their society right. right if we don't want that to happen we need to go against what our our current incentive is which is to not really care about it and to actually start to care to artificially raise awareness mm-hmm. to a level that would more, more match what the the pain would be if it was actually spread across time right so um and and the earlier we do that the earlier we're able to artificially raise the awareness um to artificially raise the amount people care, the less pain over time, the less net pain there will be. Right. The longer you can think of it, it as off, like exercise, right? right? Exercise. No one. I mean, some people do just love exercising, but most people mm-hmm. would not would rather not if they didn't have to. You know. Right. And so it's it's a bit of pain now, but it makes you healthy in the long run, right? So if you never exercise you're going to have a lot more pain where you might get like diabetes or a heart attack or something much worse than if you just do what you got to do every single day and just endure that little bit of extra pain every day. Mm-hmm. Cause that's it. It, it. it actually, it would be a little bit of pain to, to fix this day. It wouldn't be, mm-hmm. we're not talking like catastrophic reform reformation here to fix this problem. It really isn't. It doesn't need to be. But if we don't, it will be catastrophic. It will be like a heart attack for the country right. if we don't do what we need to do every day. And so, you know, really the debate I think we should be having with each other is how do we get our priorities back in line to something that is manageable? And so if we're talking about what else should we spend on, that's a non-starter for me. I, it, the people right. who are talking about this are ignoring the reality that we face. They're not looking at the reality of our financials. They're acting like there's more, there's this infinite well of money out there to pay for whatever we want. And that's not true. We're already at the limits of the things we can have that we want. And we got to start picking things. Okay. And so that's really where the debate needs to be. And so like a lot of people think, we should cut military. I'm one of those people. But that's only 15%. If we cut all of it, we're still deficit spending. Okay? Yeah. So it's it's that is not a solution. We can't have no military. I don't care if you think, if you don't like right. war. I hate war. I think war is stupid. I don't think we should be fighting wars. But you need, you need a military, okay? Especially right. America, okay? You just, it's, so I maybe it shouldn't be 
as much as we're spending right now, but you know, you're not going to be able to fix the problem just by cutting from the military. Um, so these other programs, the hard ones, the ones that are politically unpopular, those are the things we have to go after. What else? Um, I mean, we could get into um, what we think are potential options to cut, but I think we've done enough for just talking about the problem as it is now. And I think later on we can discuss possible specifics of what you know spending could potentially be cut to to fix the problem. But I think maybe we should save that for a later date. I think really what I wanted to get out of this was to have people understand how much of an issue this is and how little it's talked about in public discourse. Yeah. And hopefully we can get you to think about this and talk about this, you know, with your friends or your family or whatever, and and start to think about the problem and how we can potentially solve it. Because right now the politicians are ignoring it. We're ignoring it. The media is generally ignoring it. Um, even Jerome Powell is saying it's a big problem, but no one cares. No one really listens. They just, they're just like, ah, shoot, we don't care. <laughs> Keep lowering right. those interest rates. We'll be fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. What, I'm trying to think of a quote. It's, uh, why isn't there poverty? Or no, what is it? People ask, why, why is there poverty? People ask, why is there poverty? Right. But the real question is, why isn't there poverty? Right. Which is where we came from. It's like, living standard even as close as like you know 150 years ago was so so different than what we enjoy today Mm -hmm. and it's like we we have to it we can't take that for granted we have to actively understand what got us here Mm. what's maintaining this exorbitant lifestyle that we're that we enjoy right you know it's i'm not like i'm not bashing it like that's awesome like we Mm -hmm. should we should cherish that we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't squander it. We shouldn't just let it in the hands of, you know, oh, I don't think it really affects my day-to-day, so I'm not going to think about it. Like, we right. should be analyzing our whole, you know, economic presence, each and every one of us, and, and look at the government and say, are you analyzing your economic presence? <laughs> like, what are you, you know, is what you're doing sustainable? Like, are you gambling with my future, with the future of my family, with the future of my, you know, my society? Right. Like, that's a real question. If if everyone was to ask themselves, you know, mm-hmm. there would be so much change and it would really shift the topic of discussion in politics and economics today. Right. Because the reality is that in the beginning of the human race, everyone was in poverty. Okay. And then slowly over time, less and more and more people have gotten out of poverty. And the most people have gotten out of poverty uh, in recent history. And this is generally due to markets. Okay. And so, you know, people are, they look around and there's still poverty. And and it's noble that they want to help that, right? They want fewer people to be in poverty. That's noble. But the reality is fewer and fewer people are naturally in poverty as time has progressed because of technology, because of innovation. And so to look out and say, I, 
we can't stand for this. We have to get everyone out of poverty today is unrealistic. Okay. You know, it's, we all started there and slowly through time, we're all getting out of it. And hopefully one day, you know, there will be no more poverty, but to expect it, us to be able to do that all right now is, is no different than, you know, in the middle ages saying, you know, with just with the right king, there would be no poverty. That's just not true. You know, they didn't have the technology we have today. There's no way the middle ages were ever going to lift everyone out of poverty with just political willpower. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a limit. There are resources there. There is scarcity, you know, you can't just have everything you want right now. And so, and maybe you said if we just redistributed, then everyone could be out of poverty, but we're trying that and it's not working. So if that really was the true, then why, why are we in such a predicament right now? Why, why is our country going to go bankrupt pursuing what is mostly this noble effort to eliminate poverty? Because that's most of our spending is, is in this effort. So I, I understand that it's, this is something we should strive for. But if what we're doing is not working, if it's actually going to end up creating more poverty, then why are we doing it? Even if it's good intentions, who cares if the results are, make us all worse off. Yeah, the worst thing you can do, according to Milton Friedman, is look at a policy in terms of its intentions as, right. opposed, to, is it, is it, as opposed to its results. The results are what matter. Right. Um, like if you're playing golf and you say, and you hit it into the sand, and you're like, well, I meant to hit it onto the green. It's like, I don't care. You got to fix your stroke. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what your intention is. It matters what it results it, it, it achieves. Right. And so, you know, the intentions are very noble for these things like Social Security and Medicare. But if they're unsustainable and are going to bankrupt the country, we could end up seeing a lot more people worse off because of these good intentions. So is that really worth it? I don't think so. Right. I was I, I was talking about this to someone who told me that... Um, I said, you know, that's a the national debt's a real problem, and he said, is it? You know, we've been saying that for ten years. That it's <laughs> ten a, years. It's a real problem. So I, it, it's not a problem, you know, yet. So maybe not. Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe mon- modern monetary theory, you know, is a solution where you can kind of just keep spending at a deficit as long as you're issuing sovereign debt that people are willing to buy, um, or even if they're not willing to buy, as long as you're able to print the money to cover it, then you can keep on spending forever. And I think that just goes to show how much exorbitant privilege we've uh, we've entertained through having like the world reserve currency status and just having a dollar that has been so stable mm-hmm. over the years. But that should not be something that we should take for granted. Like that is so fleeting. Right. The reality is something. the a lot of the rest of the world is supporting our standard of living by buying our bonds, which is which are as it stands right now not good investments if we continue on this path right so if like if we're not going to ever pay these debts back then essentially the whole rest of the world is lending to us and we're never going to pay them back and it's like i think we've developed this false sense of 
security and standard of living that we can just do whatever we want without consequences. Yeah. So if anyone tells you something along those lines, show them this podcast. Tell, <laughs> tell, tell them, them to, to do to less. <laughs> tell them to do less. But John and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, no one else is talking about it. <laughs> we're probably going to start to have uh, some guests on here, probably some people of some different opinions so that we're not, you don't get the feeling like we're just trying to uh, propagandize you or whatever. Because one of the things that we think is really important is um, the best ideas win. Just right. So whoever has an idea, bring it out. Let let ideas compete in a free market, just like everything else should compete in a free market. You know, right. let the best idea win. And so you know, we're, we're convinced that we found the right ideas. Um, and so we're open to hearing other ones because we believe that we'll be able to show that they're wrong. Yeah. Right. We, and we are also not interested in any kind of like gotcha right. tactics. Like we want, like, cause we always try to bring up the opposite side and present it in a way that we, the best way we possibly can, but we can't verify that that's the correct argument that the other side is actually posing unless they're actually endorsing that right. side. So we want to we want to present the best possible pre- presentation of any any given idea and we're committed to that. We want right. the discourse to be you know informed and and progress progressing. Right. So and we're committed to that. That's why we started this podcast. We want to get we want to get ideas out there. We want to start this conversation, you know. Not just among PhD economists, not just <laughs> within economist circles. This is a this is a day to day conversation that any person can have, right? right? Debt is something everyone understands. Like everyone has, you know, a, well not everyone, but a lot of people have credit cards. You know, mm-hmm. everyone you know, with a credit card understands like what spending, you know, going into the debt while spending means, right? Mm-hmm. This is just on a large scale. You know, right. It's just as un- unsustainable. It always comes, chickens always come back home to roost, right? <laughs> yeah. What goes up must come down. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we'll definitely start to, because obviously, in case you haven't noticed, me and John generally agree about everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, not everything, but a lot of things. Right. And so we're going to try to get some, some more people on here at, who potentially think differently than we do. Um, and then, you know, let, let the best ideas win and not, we're not going to try to misrepresent them. We're not, we're not on here to bring them on and then edit them down to their dumbest statements just to make ourselves right. look good. Like, cause just so many like, people gotcha. do that today and it's, I find it disgusting. Honestly, it's like, it's so disingenuous. Um, so that's not what we're going to try to do by bringing on guests, but, um, we're going to try to do it to balance out what we're saying. Yeah, so uh, more information will probably be linked down in the show notes um, if you want to find out more about Do Less and uh, what the future of Do Less is going to be. So uh, tell your friends uh, or don't. I'm not your dad. Uh, Thank you for listening. Um, See you next time. Yeah, see you next time.